BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time at the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, October 1st, 2021. Uh, the headlines in the newspaper, well, I'm still doing this show remotely from LA. I don't have newspapers. I just have a phone. <laughs> so the headlines, I'm like, it doesn't quite work the same way. You know what I'm saying? When I have the newspaper and I'm looking at a newspaper, I'm supposed to look at my phone. Anyway, the headlines in my phone, I'll just boil down the headlines. Democrats messing up. This just pretty much boils it down. Uh, Democrats on suicide watch. Uh, that's a headline from uh, an essay, it's a paraphrase of a headline in an essay by my distinguished guest who's uh, waiting to be introduced. So without further ado, let's get down to it. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Well, Ben, it's great to be back on the show. Uh, I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University and the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty. Now, Democrats can build a lasting majority in American politics, which clearly many of our representatives have not read. So <laughs> <laughs> that is putting it mildly unbelievable. Everything David said to do, they're not doing. It's like they're it's like they want to lose. And I uh, took a deep dive yesterday with a couple of Democratic strategists on the show, the live show uh, yesterday, David talking about how. Uh, the analogy I'm, I'm I'm going to be using from here on out, uh, and it's a football analogy, and I don't know if you're a football fan, but you live in Chicago now. You've, you've adopted Chicago as your home, so sh you should know this. The Bears stink. So the Republicans play the game like they're the Green Bay Packers, and the Democrats play the game like the Chicago Bears, and they do the same old thing over and over again, even though it's never worked and will never work, but they continue to do it because it's just... That's how they do it. They're reading from the same playbook that Bill Clinton wrote in the 1990s and that Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrod and all the other, and Barack Obama <laughs> selling us for all these years. And it's just one failure after another. And that's my rant and rail for the day. Uh, let's just take a deep dive on the news. Uh, first of all, as we speak... Something is going on in Washington, and I'm not sure what. Uh, I just the last headline I saw, 
Dave, is that Joe Biden was going to personally head over to Congress. <laughs> what is he? He's going to like knock heads together. Here, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> Uh, and uh, <laughs> oh, that ought to fix things. So uh, why don't you just give us sort of a, an overview of where we stand right now with all these pending bills? It's very complicated and very convoluted. And the bottom line, as far as I could tell, is that Democrats are determined to lose. Take it away, David. Sure. I mean, the thing I want you to keep in mind as we're as we're talking, the image that you should have in your mind is like a dumpster that's on fire, um, because that's um, that's uh, the story of the Democratic government of 2021 so far. It's not a great scene. What's happening right now um, is that uh, over the summer, Democrats in the Senate, including people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and sort of the left flank of the party, agreed to pass this standalone infrastructure bill that got 17, 18 Republican votes. Um, that was, of course, smaller than what they wanted. Um, and the, you know, the left flank of the party doesn't care wh whether Republicans sign on to anything. Um, and the deal was, it was an implicit deal. I mean, nobody wrote it down, right? But the, but the understanding was um, that the progressives in the Senate and ultimately the House would give their blessing to this, you know, this trillion dollar infrastructure bill as long as um, the moderates you know, the mansion and cinema people who desperately wanted a, a, a photo op with Republicans to prove that Washington could still work, I guess, um, that if they came along on the larger social spending package um, and climate package that Biden um, is the centerpiece of Biden's agenda, um, that they would that they would put that through with minimal interference. Uh, you know, I'm not sight unseen, but like you're not going to cut it in half or anything, right? Otherwise, we won't vote for this. And what has happened in the interim is that President Joe Manchin and co-president Kirsten Sinema have decided that they don't like the top-line spending number in, in, the, uh, in the social spending package. Um, and they are holding it up. And they are not being very specific about what it is that they dislike other than the number. Um, they want to means test all of these new programs. That means cutting people off above a, a certain income threshold to save money. Um, and they've been meeting with Biden and Biden has met with cinema at least twice. Um, and he's met with Manchin, um, and Manchin is really crabby in front of the reporters these days because everyone hates him justifiably. Um, and so we're at an impasse and the, the infrastructure bill was supposed to pass, uh, four days ago. Um, and the progressive caucus in the house is holding firm. They're like, no. Um, this was the deal. Like, if you don't want to do the social spending package, we're not doing infrastructure. Um, and so Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer are frantically trying to get Manchin and Cinema to agree to at least a framework of what the larger social spending package might look like, like put a number on it. Um, I think people are willing to negotiate with them to get things done, including the progressives, but they're not willing to pass this infrastructure bill unless they have some sense that Manchin and Cinema are serious um, about about getting the bigger spending package through another reconciliation bill in in the U.S. Senate, um, and the whole thing has turned increasingly acrimonious. Uh, everybody's poll numbers are in free fall. Um, Biden looks terrible. Like everybody just looks bad. It just looks like it just looks dysfunctional. And just gazing upon the wreckage, just just to be honest with you, I, for the first time in my life, I would say I really understand why people just check out of politics at, at a certain point. Um, because it's like, I don't, people worked so hard to get this democratic government in place. And if they can't do, I mean, if they can't deliver any of this stuff that's urgently necessary, 
I, I'm not sure that I really care whether we have the Senate or not, if they're not going to do anything, you know? So that's where I am today. I'm not in a good place politically, you know? <laughs> well, I, I think it's a time that we all admit the, the, uh, the obvious, uh, and that the reality is the Democrats don't have the Senate. And that has pretty much been uh, obvious since February. And uh, at right now, it's 52 Republicans and 48 Democrats, basically, because it's pretty clear that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are behaving like Republicans. They don't view themselves as Democrats. And so when I I say that, I mean this, David, and get your response. If you view yourself as a member of the Democratic Party that is under siege from, we'll get into where the right-wing Republicans are taking us, under siege from a very dangerous and threatening right-wing, then you say to your fellow Democrats, what can we do together to prevail, to protect our country from this dangerous siege that we're under? And from the get-go, neither Manchin nor Cinema have done that. From the get-go, they have withheld their votes on almost every key initiative. And you go down through it in your essay, your latest essay in the week, every key initiative that would help the Democrats prevail against the Republicans, starting with, let's just go down the list, making Washington a state, which would be two more Democratic senators, passing the John Lewis uh, voter protection law, which would keep Republicans from kicking black people off the rolls throughout the South, throughout the country. And, uh, and of course, all these spending bills that would enable Democrats to turn to the American people and say, see, we did something for you. And each one of those instances, David, Cinema and Manchin have withheld their votes, have declared their allegiance to the filibuster. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that the reality is when we're, Viewing what's going on in Washington, we can't view it realistically as the Democrats are in control because they're not in control of the Senate. Your thoughts? No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, they, because Manchin and Cinema call themselves Democrats, um, Chuck Schumer gets to be majority leader. But it's not clear that Chuck Schumer commands a majority. You know what I mean? It's like he commands a, a, enough of a majority um, that Democrats have a one-seat advantage on, on all the committees, and he gets to decide what comes to the floor and what doesn't. Um, but the reality is that Manchin and Cinema, and maybe a couple others, we don't really know, right? But these are the ones that are the public face of the commitment to the filibuster. Um, practically speaking, they are not able to move legislation through the Senate um, the way that a, a, a duly constituted small D Democratic majority should be able to do um, because of the, I mean, all, all of this stuff really can be traced to the filibuster, right? Um Without the filibuster, you can pass a law to raise the minimum wage, put two Democratic senators' names on it, you know, uh, make them the two most vulnerable Democrats in the country, you know, the Maggie Hassan and, um, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I've been trying to think of another really vulnerable person next year, but I think she's, 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 in, the, she's in the barrel. You know, the Maggie Hassan uh, raised the minimum wage act. Um, and, uh, and the, you know, the Tammy Duckworth um, Universal Daycare Act. And, you know, if they, if they weren't forced to try to, to cram every single thing that they wanted to do into a reconciliation bill that the media only talks about in terms of its price tag rather than what, what we actually want to do with it, um, they could have had a series of seven or eight significant policy victories by now. 
um, that aren't like, you know, insanely radical. You know, it's just stuff that Biden promised to do on the campaign trail on the rare occasions where he was talking about policy um, rather than, uh, you know, how we, we need to be a good country again. Um, <laughs> so that's the, that's the filibuster, right? The filibuster, the commitment to the filibuster is forcing us into this process where we cram everything into one bill because of these two you know, Jambronis. I don't want to call them anymore. I and mean, this is a family program, but I'd like to use stronger language. Okay, uh, these these two knuckleheads are holding everything up in in terms of the filibuster. And then, when we are forced into the very process um, that their recalcitrance has driven us to, they won't play ball there either, right? Um, and so it's like, you know what? Switch parties, man. I don't care at this point. You know, um, it, it's like. The Supreme Court can't get any worse. You know, Biden's cabinet isn't in place. We're probably going to lose the Senate in, in 12 months anyway. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Chuck Schumer does not command a working majority in the Senate. And that's not his fault, right? I mean, it, it's, the, it's the voters of Maine <laughs> and the voters of North Carolina um, and, and a couple other, I thought, winnable Senate seats um, that, that, that just didn't go our way. Um, and that made Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema the pivotal votes in the Senate, and they love it. You know, they're on TV every day. They're on the they're, they're in the headlines every single day. Their names are on our lips. You know, from 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 dawn till dusk, uh, even beyond in the Senate. Um, and so they're they seem very happy with what they are doing to us. And <laughs> I, I sorry, Joe Manchin does seem like he's in a bad mood. Kirsten Cinema seems like she's having the time of her life. Um, and it's it's just infuriating, and we can't get. We can't get to either one of them until 2024. Um, and so it is very paralyzing to think about all of these good things that are so we're so tantalizingly close to having a majority have passed these really important policies, and we can't do it. And at the end of the day, I, I don't, you know, I don't care about the politics, really. I just want to live in a functional country, you know, um, where uh, it doesn't cost like, you know, $10,000 to, to deliver a healthy baby. Uh, you know, just like all the, all the crazy things that, um, the things that are happening, you know, the, the, the so-called crisis at the border is the consequence of our inability to pass any legislation to fix some of these processes. Um, it's just like the, the, if you go to the list of voter priorities year after year after year for the past decade, um, it's, it's healthcare, it's immigration, it's the economy. Um, and again and again, we send people to Washington and they don't fix the problems. Um, and this time it's us. This time it's on us. And it's it, it's cold comfort to say, hashtag not all Democrats, right? Like I know 46 of the 50 Democrats in the Senate are great and they get it and they want to do this stuff. And it's not their fault that they can't get Joe Manchin to do anything. Um, but most people are not going to understand that distinction. Right? They are going to look at what's happening in Washington and be like, well, these idiots got nothing done. So let's try the fascists in the wings here, you know? Um, and it's dangerous because it's not like there are sane, normal people waiting to take over. Um, the incredibly dangerous people uh, that are part of a now incredibly dangerous political party that are on the precipice of coming back into power because we are, we are spinning our wheels. And Joe Manchin is just like, what's the problem? I mean, they're all like Rob Porter, right? They're great guys. I know I slap them on the back in the coat room. Um, and it's, they don't see, it's like they don't see what's happening in the rest of the country, which is crazy because Manchin is from West Virginia, where there's like millions of these, of these lunatics, right? Um, I, I just, I just, I don't know how to explain it. They're in some kind of weird bubble where they, um, they're in denial about what's happening in the country or they're bought and paid for, which is an increasingly 
uh, <laughs> increasingly plausible hypothesis to me, which is that they're just working on someone else's behalf to grind things up and, and to reduce the size of the spending package as much as they possibly can. So I, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop ranting. Sorry. All right. Now, so let's uh, go back to my analogy that uh, the uh, the Republicans are the Packers, the Green Bay Packers, and the Democrats are the Bears, uh, and they're just completely inept. So let's pretend Mitch McConnell was leading the Democrats right now, and he had a deal with two recalcitrant senators. I'm just trying to understand, what would Mitch McConnell do that Chuck Schumer is not doing to make sure that Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin stayed on, played with the team. What would he do? I mean, he'd probably threaten them, <laughs> you know, behind closed doors. I mean, Mitch McConnell is always willing to deploy, um, you know, the political equivalent of force to people that are not that are not getting on board. I mean, the reality is, like, you know, McConnell lost a really important vote. Um, almost to this day, four years ago, right? It was like, I have to go August, 2017, um, when Collins and McCain and Murkowski peeled off to, to vote, to, to, to torpedo the ACA repeal, you know? Um, and the difference here is like, I don't think, I don't know. I'm not sure that McConnell really wanted that to happen. Um, of but, course you know, not. I just was about to disagree with you. He didn't, he won by losing. Yeah, exactly. That would have been, you put that in your essay and it's absolutely true. And this will take you back in time, ladies and gentlemen, Dave, I hate to cut you off, but I, I just, as soon as you said it, I was like, no, 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 no. He won by losing. He did not want, uh, the Obamacare to be repealed because everybody would be up in arms. It'd be utter disaster and chaos in our country right now. And they'd be blaming Republicans and he would have lost his seat. Uh, and so, uh, I, I think he was all too happy to let, uh, John McCain turn the thumbs down on that one, uh, and take the heat, which McCain took the heat, uh, and, and saved him. But go ahead back to your thoughts. I just, I cut you off the hat. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think McConnell knew that that was a political loser. Um, and I think his, his, his moderates did him a favor. And I think, um, this is what, uh, you know, the, uh, venerated brett stevens said this the other day in his column in the, in the new york times which was like oh look the cinema mansion are doing the democrats a favor by putting a stop to this crazy spending package and i'm like you go through the spending package policy by policy and it's it's mostly very popular stuff you know um mostly policies that command super majorities um in in polling you know like giving the uh, medicare the ability to negotiate drug prices um it's like that has like 90 percent support you know like 70 percent of the people want universal child care of some sort, um, you know, seventy percent of the people want elder care, and they're going to want it more and more and more as the boomers retire. Right? Like these are all. This is not a vanity project, right? Like this is this is an effort to address uh, a series of social and economic problems in the United States that are out of control. And um, if I was Chuck Schumer, you know, I, I would bring bring just bring it to the floor, um, and 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 make them do it. You know, um, make them vote against. You know, like uh, put him on the spot. I mean, I don't know what else. But Schumer does not have a lot of other powers that he can do here, aside from like expelling people from the caucus, which would deprive him of his majority. Um, he's not going to do that. I mean, I might I can sit around the program and be like, I don't care anymore, but <laughs> but he's not going to do that. Um, and it's really it's like uh, I, I've been thinking about Biden and Trump and and party discipline, and you really do kind of have to hand it to Trump 
in the sense that like as as sophomoric and juvenile and cruel as as the way that he was on Twitter, um, he did know how to keep Republicans in line. Um, and Biden just doesn't have that fight in him. You know, Biden thinks that he's going to get this done by inviting Manchin and Cinema to the White House and being nice to them um, and trying so, so hard to tiptoe around their their soft little feelings. Um, and, uh, you know, as we're, we're, we're recording this program during unfolding events, so maybe he will. Maybe he'll get them to come around. I don't know. But if he does, it's going to be at like half of what we wanted to do um, at, at minimum. And uh, I think if this fails, he, he really needs to... Um, you know, he really needs to start doing things like uh, endorsing a primary challenger for both of them. Um, I, I know that it's pointless to primary Joe Manchin because no other Democrat on the earth could win that seat in West Virginia. Um, but, it, it, you know, if it gets to that, it's, it doesn't matter anyway. We've got bigger problems than, than one Senate seat in West Virginia. Um, and I feel like a little bit of political pressure rather than begging, uh, <laughs> you've got to at least try it, you know. Um, because we still have, you know, we still have 13 months until the midterm elections. If this all falls apart today or over the weekend, what are they going to do with their time? Um, and so uh, I, it's just, this is just not Biden's style. It's just not who he is. Um, it's one of the 7,000 reasons that I wanted someone else to be president. <laughs> um, because, uh, he, he just doesn't, he just doesn't have that spirit in him. And, uh, yeah, it, this could get bad. Um, this could get really bad because um, before we get into um, man, uh, prime, the difference between running primary candidates against a mansion and cinema, which is uh, there's just some obviously differences there. Talk a little bit about means testing. You mentioned that, sure. Uh, and so when I think about what has to be done to pass anything, it would clearly uh, be Biden moving right to accommodate two senators. Uh, and then really irritating the entire left flank of his party once again, uh, which is classic Democratic behavior. They think they're doing something positive when they have the left wing of their party, which is really the heart and soul of their party, mad at them. Just let's pause to think about that, Democrats, for a moment. You think you've accomplished something when all lefties are mad at you. Now, that's how we do it. The left's mad at us and the right's mad at us. That means we have the center. It doesn't work that way in politics. Again, the Democrats are the Bears. The Republicans are the Packers. Okay, so um, let's just talk about means testing. What what is it that Mansion and Cinema want the Dems to do uh, on this legislation uh, to to win over their support? Sure. I mean, it's, we don't have the exact details, right? But but we know this is what they're pushing. So to take one example, um, they want to offer a, a huge. Twelve thousand something dollar tax credit for you to buy an electric car, an electric vehicle, um, and they want to do that because the prices on those vehicles. I don't know if you ever looked at them, but <laughs> the prices on an electric vehicle are like hilariously, hilariously inflated. Um, and it's like you realize the savings over time by saving on gas, and apparently they cost less to maintain. I wouldn't know. I don't have one um, because I can't afford one. <laughs> <laughs> and so Democrats, uh, because not burning the earth into a husk is one of their policy goals, unlike the other guys, um, they want to, you know, they want to get as many people as they can into electric vehicles um, with as many incentives as they can muster. Um, and so they, they're, the tax credit that they that came out of the budget process earlier this summer said that they uh, that this tax credit would be phased out above four hundred thousand dollars in income. 
right? Now that is still means testing it, but you know, the, the vast, 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 vast majority of people make less than $400,000 a year. Um, and so you're talking about like, you know, 95, 97% of the country would be eligible for this credit. And Mansion and Cinema apparently want to lower that threshold to 100,000. Um, and that's going to be, that's going to mean that basically everybody in an urban area um, that uh, for whom $100,000 is not like that much money, right? I mean, it's, it's not nothing. Um, but it is not, it's not enough money to buy a $40,000, $45,000 electric vehicle. Um, so, so yeah, they, um, this, this is a policy that was already slightly means tested, um, uh, and they want to make it dramatically worse. And the impact you know, that may save a uh, billion dollars a year or something, but the practical impact will be that, that the policy won't work, right? Like you, you're not going to be able to get people to switch to electric vehicles, um, if, if nobody who makes over $100,000 is eligible for this tax credit because they're just going to keep buying gas-powered cars. Um, you know, when, when you realize savings through this incremental way, like, oh, you're saving on gas, it, it's all in the future for most people. You know, like, they're not going to think about that, especially people that don't drive that much. What do they care? Right? Like, what, I, I, I drive less than 5,000 miles a year. Like, I don't really care about gas prices that much. I can't afford a $45,000 car. So, um, it's, it's that kind of stuff, right? And they want to do that for the daycare, you know, universal childcare. And they want to do that for whatever the policy proposal is uh, to, to provide in-home care for the elderly and, and things like that. Um, all of these important social policies, they want to go down the road of like the ACA, which is better than nothing, but kind of a policy rack and very confusing um, instead of the Medicare or social security route where it's like everybody basically has access to the same benefits. Um, and those programs happen to be more popular. This is, but progressives have been banging on about this for a long time, right? Like when you deliberately exclude people from a social program, even if they are wealthy and they don't need the social program, you are eroding the basis of social solidarity that makes it possible to keep those programs going. And there is a reason that no one has been able to destroy Medicare and social security. Um, and that is because everyone has it, everyone pays into it. Um, and yeah, sure, some people pay more than others, right? But like um, the, the bottom line is that like, you know, you still get a social security check, even if you're a millionaire. Um, and do they need it? No. Is it better to give that to them rather than not have social security at all? Yes. The other problem is that when you means test something, you, there has to be a bunch of um, bureaucrats like sitting around deciding whether you're eligible for X, Y, and Z. Like when I go to the car dealer, um, I don't know, what am I supposed to bring? Like my tax returns or something? And they're, they're going to have to call the IRS and determine my eligibility. Not all pe people don't have those kinds of records sitting around, most people. Um, so you're just, you're creating a, a confusing bureaucratic mess. But I think by design, um, you're not going to be able to adjust for differential uh, income levels in different parts of the country where money goes further or less far, depending on the cost of living in your area. It's just a continent. You know, we live on a continent. So <laughs> it's just frustrating because what they are doing is the same mistake that we made with the ACA. Um, it's like, we're good, you know, maybe we'll get better policies than we have now. Um, but they are not going to be good enough for a lot of people. They're not going to energize people. Um, you know, one of these, one of these things they want to do with Medicare, I think the, um, the, the drug, uh, negotiations, they want to, they want to have it start in 2028 or something. And I'm like, what are you, <laughs> how are you supposed to take that to the voters, man? You know, like give us another majority in six years. Uh, if you're still alive, you will get this benefit, you know, vote Democratic, yeah. vote blue, no matter who. Um, and so they're just, uh, it's it's just a disaster. You know, means testing is a disaster. And it's it's a disaster that sounds good, right? Because it sounds more fair. Um, 
and it, and it is more fair, but the, but the, really the practical impact is that those programs become less popular um, and they're perceived as being for the poor, right? Um, and, it's, it's, and it's not good because this is America and Americans hate poor people. Um, and when we, when we have social programs for the poor, it allows all everyone else just to be like, I don't even know what that is, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I'll stop there. But that's, uh, that's no, I, that was a great riff and I'm really glad you went on it. Uh, and I, I just want to point out that while I got football in my mind these days, David, but while Joe Manchin and cinema are, uh, forcing Democrats to abandon all their democratic values in order to get the votes they need to pass something, anything, uh, by means testing the hell out of all these programs that should be universal in my humble opinion, uh, for all the reasons you stated. Uh, while that's going on, uh, the state of Illinois, the city of Arlington Heights, the city of Chicago are gearing up to give millionaire owners of the Chicago Bears untold millions of public dollars in subsidies for their team. If you were means testing the Chicago Bears, they wouldn't get a nickel. In fact, they would have to pay us for how wretched they are. They would have to pay us back for the $600 million. We already gave them for the last stadium. But see, this is... This, now I'm, I'm going to shift it to what you said earlier about Trump's style versus the Democratic style. Donald Trump shames his Republican peers, his colleagues. He shames them. He uses whatever tactic he has, whatever platform he has, rallies, Twitter. He's kicked off of Twitter, so now he just does it by press release or who knows, uh, to shame them. And it works. I'm why I do Democrats like have this weird aversion and it's not just uh moderate Democrats. It's <laughs> I'm going to uh, millennials. You guys are at the front of the list here. They get this weird aversion to shaming. And I've been talking more and more about this and having more and more fun with this, but I would love to get your thoughts on this day. I'm listening like, just in the NBA. The NBA is uh, the national basketball association is struggling to try to get its players to get vaccinated because the threat of disrupting the schedule and all these precious business deals they have is linked to whether there's an outbreak of COVID. And so, guys, if we want to keep the business going, if we want to keep making all the money we're making, we got to stay as healthy as we can. And it's not 100% perfect. Yes, we know, but it'll de definitely increases our chances of getting through a season if you get vaccinated, so you got to get vaccinated. And so a few players go, no, I can't get vaccinated. And they come up with some dumb reason. I don't know. They subscribe to the Nicki Minaj healthcare newsletter or something like that. Get their healthcare information from Nicki Minaj and her cousin's friend in Trinidad or wherever with the swollen testicles. And so no matter what idiocy comes out of the mouth of an NBA player, the other NBA players, well, we can't shame him. He has his right to say whatever he... He's destroying your league. If he took a stupid shot at the end of a game, you would shame the hell out of him and you would go to management and say, get him off my team. But Demo millennials in particular, I'm just going to throw the millennials under the bus here because I millennials, you know I'm equal opportunity. I throw boomers under the bus all the time. Your aversion to shaming, when you see your counterparts doing something that's really illogical... And you won't speak up, and then 
David, I'm getting more and more frustrated. I see as, as a, I see as a cross the pattern problem with Democrats. They, they don't want to say anything bad about anybody. Whereas Trump, he has no problem. He's waging war against Liz Cheney right now. Your thoughts on what I just said. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure that the, I'm not sure it's shame, you know, as much as it is um, a willingness to publicly criticize people. Um, like trying to get my students to do an honest peer review of each other's work is, is hard because people don't want to be, they, they, they see any criticism of their peers as like somehow beyond the pale, right? Um, and it's like Republicans in Congress, can, can, you know, they'll run around being like, yeah, somebody else in my party, yeah, we should rip that guy's head off and drink his blood uh, if he doesn't come around. You know, and Democrats, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, like one day AOC says like something mildly critical of the leadership and it's like front page on Politico and everybody's like, oh my God, she can't play, you know, she can't play nice, like the progressives are crazy. And it's like, they haven't done anything. You know, I mean, like, it's just what is wrong with using some sharp language to criticize people who are holding up really important policy changes for like 400 million people? Um, it's just nuts. And the, and the football analogy, first of all, I'm, you know, you know me, I'm a one sport monogamist, it's baseball. Um, but I, but I know enough to, I know enough about football to have absorbed things, right? I, my understanding of the Chicago Bears have not had a quarterback since like 1986, right? Um, <laughs> sorry, Jay, right? But they haven't had a quarterback in a really long time. Um, and the, and the, the analogy with the Packers, imagine like the way, the way it really is, is that like the, the existing rules of the games between the Packers and the Bears are such that the Packers get seven points per touchdown and the Bears get four. Um, and it's like they had, it's like they, it, the Democrats are like, as if the bears had an opportunity to be like, Hey, all we have to do is, uh, sign this thing. And then we get seven points for our touchdowns too. And maybe we can beat the Packers. Um, and Hey, there's a quarterback first in the draft. He's like the next uh, Tom Brady. Should we get that guy? And they're like, no, nah. <laughs> one of the linebackers doesn't like it. So, uh, we're just going to keep the four point touchdown thing. And, uh, we don't want that quarterback. That would be I don't know. I don't, I don't want to win, you know, like, let's just keep, I don't know who the current Bears quarterback is. I'm sorry. Uh, but let's just, let's get Jay Cutler back, you know, fix his knee. He'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I think the Packers are good people. You know, they're good people. There's a couple of bad Packers, but the rest of them are really, they're okay. I just had a beer with them last week. Uh, yeah. I don't want to talk to you anymore. This interview is over, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's like Democrats are choosing to fight politics at a disadvantage when they could fix most of it. Um, and they're choosing to shoot themselves in the foot. It's almost like the Bears, they're like, oh, um, it's the fourth quarter. We could do the co-ahead touchdown here. Or I don't know, we could just stay behind 15 to 14. What do you think? Should we just stay behind? <laughs> <laughs> so it's more deliberate. The Bears are just bad. Like They're just like a bad football team. But imagine if the Bears were like, were choosing to be bad and choosing to play at a set of uh, under a set of rules that systematically disadvantage them, um, and I'm sorry, but the wind at Soldier Field is not is not a systematic disadvantage, folks. Okay, sorry. No, I, I I don't want to turn this into a Bears discussion, but trust me when I tell you, your analogy is a lot closer to reality. They choose to be bad, okay, and we'll just leave the Bears alone at the moment. But they choose to be bad. Um, all right, so really, you've not you're you're as baffled as I am. Uh, as to what uh, Schumer can do with uh, Mansion and cinema, uh, and I'm not sure even the great Mitch McConnell uh, could figure out what to do if he had uh, 
Republicans like them. I will say this. It gets back to my shaming analogy. There is no one in the Democratic Party who plays the role that Trump plays. We're just systematically, methodically, every day gets up and lets anyone who he thinks is his enemy have it, which fires up the base and scares the hell out of Ultimately, he's intimidated the entire Republican Party. And uh, I'm not sure that's a model that's healthy for humanity, but those are the rules of the game right now. And if you want to beat Trump, you got to abide by those to a certain degree. You have to have at least discipline. Um, so I don't know. But, but you're, you're, uh, you, maybe you're right. Maybe uh, I'm going over, overboard with my railing against shaming, which probably won't stop me, and I will continue to do it. All right, let's talk about the differences between Mansion uh, and Cinema because I do believe there are uh, differences between the two. I think, uh, and I, I, I had this thought reading your latest essay in the week. Uh, Joe Manchin, I just saw this. He came out with a statement that says, and I'm paraphrasing, I am not a liberal. I've never been a liberal. I don't believe in liberal programs. So that's presumably like why he's for means testing. Overlooking the fact, as you said, again, this is delusion. Overlooking the fact, as you said, that most popular liberal programs in the country are the ones that are universally available to all and that Donald Trump will cash his Social Security check as fast as I will, even though he's, well, he has way more money than I do. In fact, I told you that story. Back in the 80s, the Spy Magazine, they sent checks worth a penny to various famous people, and Donald Trump, they sent it to him. He cashed the check for a penny. So he's going to take every nickel he can, every penny he can. Uh, whereas cinema, I think she's on an ego trip. So I think Joe Manchin... If you appeal to his sense of politics uh, and his antiquated notions of his what is liberal and conservative, you could cut a deal. I think cinema is really into being the superstar uh, in the media. And I don't believe there's a way you could win her over unless you're appealing to her vanity and ego. What do you think? I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, I think that Manchin's opposition to some of this stuff is is at, at heart it's ideological. Um, like he has gone on TV several times this week and been quoted as saying, um, "This is too much money, and I don't want to create an entitlement society." You know, um, to which I say, "Look, man, people love entitlements. Like, you know, when you get an email, it's like you're entitled to a free drink. It's like, yes, yes, I will take the free drink. You know, people love Medicare and Social Security." They're great. They're the best programs. Why is entitlement a negative word? Um, but he he's a great representative of of the of like actually what I think the you know uh, the way a lot of people answer polls, which is they are uh, they're policy liberals, but um, but philosophical conservatives. You know the people that that really believe in the in the bootstraps. You know uh, choose your own destiny um, vision of meritocracy and, and American exceptionalism. Um, and that's just who he is. He's philosophically conservative. You know, he can be brought around um, to a to a center right democratic policy vision if the if if uh, if the numbers are right. Um, you know, ultimately he probably is gettable with with a certain framework. Um, and cinema, I don't know what makes her tick. Honestly, she you know her spokesperson has gone out and said, look, cinema has told President Biden exactly what she wants. Like she's not being vague, but she won't. She doesn't really talk to the press. 
it's, it, which is wild because like she's a media darling who doesn't really give interviews to the national press. Like she will only talk to, to Arizona reporters and stuff. Um, and so it's the national media has pumped her up into this, you know, maverick to end all mavericks, even though she doesn't talk to them. It's so pathetic. Um, <laughs> like she won't give Politico report, reporters the time of day. Like she won't give New York Times reporters the time of day. You got to be from the Arizona Republic. Um, and she's such a curious character because she was so liberal um, in the in the early 2000s and then just seemed to pivot to this uh, to this moderate centrism, which I guess is what she thought she needed to do to get elected in Arizona. And maybe she was right three years ago, but she is wrong about what she needs to do to get reelected in Arizona. Um, and it's like you, you look at this stuff and you say, I, I'm not she, I'm not sure that she cares whether she gets reelected um, because she's going to lose a primary at this point. I think she would lose a primary badly right now. Um, and uh, it, it's 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 a tough balancing act because Biden has to go in there and figure out what these two um, what these two holdouts actually want get it into the framework of the of the negotiations and then keep the left flank on board with whatever with whatever the um, what the concessions are and it's just again it reminds me of how stupid the filibuster is because like probably you take I don't know how many policies are in this reconciliation package let's say it's let's say it's 20 different programs okay um, I'm sure that you could get both of them for like five or six of those programs and you could just get it done um, and save the negotiations for the hardest stuff later. Um, this is not how negotiations work. You don't take everything, um, and, and be like, we're, we're all going to hold a gun to each other's head until we resolve the single most contentious, um, issue that is dividing us. You know, you got to build confidence and the infrastructure bill, the progressive signing onto that and saying like, okay, we'll do this. If you do that, that was a confidence building measure. And what Manchin and Cinema are doing is they are destroying the confidence of the rest of the caucus that they can be negotiated with. And that is a dynamic that I think is really problematic. I think that is a dynamic that Trump never had with the three Republican moderates um, of Collins and McCain and Murkowski. There was never a question that they would, that they like wouldn't play ball, you know, that they, they, that they were going to be the thorns in the side for every single thing that Trump wanted to do. Um, and once they passed the tax cuts thing, you know, it was off to the races. Those three, you know, uh, Collins voted for Kavanaugh, um, and they didn't do much else, right? Because they 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 suffered from some of these same dynamics of our, our politics are so closely divided <clears throat> that one or two people in the Senate of a country of 340 million people, one or two people can hold everything up. So, yeah, it's I it's important to know the differences between them because I you know different things could bring them over. Um, at the same time, you know, we are on the verge. I don't know what's going to happen today. I really don't have any predictions, but we are on the verge of having a problem that is bigger than Manchin and Cinema, And that is like acrimonious distrust and, and anger within the caucus over these important priorities and um, and then just getting wiped off the map next year. So it's 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 urgent. It's frustrating because, again, as you said, nobody knows how to, you know, like there's no there's no magic uh thing that someone can do there's no magic wand to wave to get them to cooperate but it's like everything is at stake you know i, I mean democracy is at stake um these policy gains are at stake and it's and it's so important um and it's just so frustrating i have to explain to my students why democrats can't do things even though they have a majority <laughs> yeah well and i'll go back to what i said they don't really have a majority and i feel that um 
I, I just, I feel as though um, Democrats will always pay the price for not doing something while they have a majority when the reality is they don't have a majority. And that's even harder to explain to your students. Yes, they have a majority, but they don't really have a majority uh, because Manchin and uh, Cinema are not behaving in any logical way. It, there's no logic to what they're doing. Um, and so, Mike, it's almost as though they want the Democrats to lose. I take, I mean, if I just view their behavior, they want the Democrats to lose because that's the only uh, outcome I could see is Democrats losing. And yeah, unless, and I'll, and I'll throw this that you get your thoughts on this. What I, uh, the other thing I've been sensing is um, the anxiety of Democrats that we saw play in California. And I sent you an article from uh, Florida. Democrats are in despair over Florida. We're going to lose to DeSantis is the theme of that article. I could send you articles from Virginia, similar message coming with, they have a gubernatorial election uh, in about a month. Terry McAuliffe running as a Democrat against a right winger. Similar uh, articles of despair coming out of uh, uh, Virginia. Uh, your good friend, Nate Cohn, who does the political uh uh, the pollster for the New York Times who has figured out a career out of scaring Democrats with <laughs> his selective reading of polls to always make it look like the Republicans are going to triumph. He's gearing up. He's, yeah, I'm going to get some clicks. Uh, so sometimes I think the Dems just love uh, like poking the anxieties of people like me and my wife and all my friends, <laughs> and that's that's their strategy. That, well, that's their strategy. Uh, uh, so do you think that's their strategy, uh, David, or am I giving them too much credit and saying they have a strategy? Yeah, I don't think they have a strategy. I think, um, I don't think that they want to lose. Right? I mean, I think even Manchin and Cinema prefer being part of the majority to the, to the minority because they're getting so much attention out of it. Um, what I do think is that I don't think that they see the same catastrophe if, if they do lose. Right, like the, you know, I don't know what's in cinema's brain, um, but in, in Manchin's mind, it's it's like 1984, you know, and, and Tip O'Neill's having breakfast with Ronald Reagan, and um, <laughs> if we lose to these other guys, it's fine. It'll cut our taxes and whatever, and we'll get another shot in two years. And and they either don't see or don't take seriously this like really apocalyptic threat to the practice of democracy that the Republican Party now represents. Um, and so I think that they don't see the same stakes that everybody else does. I think they also think. Um, that they are, they themselves are better positioned politically if they if they slow down the train on democratic policymaking and can go to their voters and be like, see, I'm not just a lemming, right? I have my own brain, um, and to please please reelect me. I think that their theory of politics is is one in which personality and and like state politics and loyalty to your your own voters above the national party that that's still a vision that really works um, and. Uh, you know, it did work for Manchin in 2018, but I think that every year that passes, it is less likely to work because everything is nationalized. Gubernatorial elections are nationalized. Senate races are nationalized. Um, congressional races are nationalized. Uh, increasingly, you know, mayoral elections are, are nationalized. Um, and so I think that they're they're working with two flawed theories of politics. You know, um, one is one is which they have too much trust in Republicans because there's seven or eight, uh, you know, quote unquote, moderate Republicans that they're friendly with in the Senate. Um, and they don't see what's happening in the rest of the country. Um, and 
they they I think have a very mistaken view of their of what will affect their own reelection chances. Because in political science, like our 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 assumption is that everybody wants to get reelected, um, and that that's the primary motivator in in politics. It's like I want to get reelected. What do I do to get reelected? Um, and I think what they're not seeing is that the, the the best way to position themselves for 24 when they're both up for re-election is, is for Joe Biden and the Democrats to have a lengthy record of policy victories to run on. Um, you know how Trump used to be like, judges, 2A, border, right? It was like through tax cuts, NAFTA, five things. You know, what's Biden going to, like, what's, what's Biden's version of that treat, to a tweet, you know? One COVID bill from a while ago. <laughs> couple of judges i guess uh blank right um <laughs> you're not gonna do yeah, yeah. you haven't done anything you know it's just uh, it's not the way politics works so um i just i just think they're wrong i don't know how to reach them you don't know how to reach them I, i'm not sure biden knows how to reach them no it's just a bad situation <laughs> all right well uh, we're ending on a little gloom and doom but let's let's put this glimmer of hope that uh joe biden will go to the capitol today and it'll just come to him in a moment of inspiration what he has to do to convince uh, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin uh, to do the right thing. Just something right, re- remotely right, not right as in conservative, but right as in correct. Uh, and uh, one thing for sure, uh, uh, David and I will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about whatever it is that they do. Uh, and we'll see which, you know, you're starting to become like Sybil. Uh, David, I don't know if you're old enough to know Sybil, but that's the the novel about the woman with multiple uh, personalities. And so last week you were a little optimistic, and uh, this week not so optimistic. We'll we'll see what the future brings uh, in about a week or so. Well, I hope I'm happy next time. I, I hope that uh, I hope I'm pleasantly surprised. You know, that's the the doctrine of uh, Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything. You remember this movie, the romantic comedy? And he says, uh, if you start out depressed, everything comes as a pleasant surprise. So. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, that's a good spot, a spot as any uh, to end it. David uh, Ferris, thank you so much for being on the show again. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader